Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. But after the meeting, the two leaders agreed to keep in touch. When Biden said, I'll give you my email, Putin said, I already have your email and password. (laughs) (laughs) And Venmo, don't worry about it. That's pretty funny. Yeah, that is. That is. Excuse me. I think there was a major, major moment in the whole uh, summit thing yesterday. And I missed it the first time. And and I will reveal that, and I'm not intentionally being just keeping you tuned uh, for the punchline, but I think you need to hear what I heard to really make it click in my head. Let, first, me, let me tease this. Yeah, first this. David French just tweeted out. We. He's one of my go-to lawyer guys. He said, this was a really bad day for those who think a Republican-nominated court means predictably partisan results. Because a bunch of cases are coming out. I don't know what he's talking about, so I'm going to go to his feed and figure that out, and we'll pass that along to you. Yeah, well, Obamacare was sustained, and the uh, Catholic uh, charity uh, was sustained as well. Um, anyway, yeah, we'll stay tuned, because today's a really big day. So the media hypes everything to keep you tuned, including COVID fear or whatever. They just, they're just they desperate for your eyes and ears. This is a new era in media. You need to understand that. It's not like it was 20 years ago. It's not like it was 10 years ago. It's it's a combination of a changing revenue picture, Internet advertising, so many outlets uh, vying for your eyes and ears. Uh, and if we had any sense whatsoever, we would go with stupid pandering. But we don't, and and we will. our careers will fall apart sooner or later because of it. But, nah, we're too stubborn stupid. Anyway, um, the meeting yesterday between the pooter and our old president, was not really, well, it was not even close to the big deal that the media was making out to be. Joe Biden was in uh, Europe for a bunch of different meetings with a bunch of different organizations, the EU, NATO, whatever, and he might as well meet with Putin. Uh, it got hyped up, and, and there are some who believe that it was wrong to give Putin the platform and the dignity of it and the rest of it, and we can get into that a little bit. Um, but I do think there was a major development masquerading as an offhand comment. Jonah Goldberg did some really good writing about this. Uh, he says, for many in the foreign policy establishment and diplomatic press corps, this is an exciting opportunity to conjure some Cold War drama. Historically, such summits were major happenings. They were premised on the idea that tensions between the two nuclear powers were so great and so grave, merely talking was an accomplishment in its own right. And that was kind of the tone of the coverage yesterday. When we had uh, enough missiles pointed at each other to eliminate life on Earth many times over? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Conservatives and other foreign policy hawks contend that the summit is a mistake, primarily because it gives Putin the prestige he craves, while giving Biden nothing in return. I tend to agree, writes Jonah Goldberg. But this argument also draws on the same Cold War nostalgia. Conservatives often opposed U.S.-Soviet summits because they were seen as part of the process of normalization and detente that not only lent the Soviets undeserved legitimacy, but often ended with concessions that strengthened our enemy and sapped anti-communist resolve here at home. And then a chapter of history that I had kind of half forgotten. Worse, such summits were often used to buy cover or time for Soviet expansionism. This reminds me a lot of the, the Kim Jong-un stuff lately. 
42 years ago this week, Jimmy Carter met with Leonid Brezhnev in Vienna to sign the SALT II Treaty. Brezhnev personally promised his peaceful intentions to Carter, and six months later, the Soviets invaded Afghanistan. Mm. Carter felt so betrayed that he ratcheted up defense spending, boycotted the Olympics, and became a born-again Cold Warrior. And then Goldberg gets to his point. You can see how those arguments could be applied today, but I think we'd all be better off uh, to ditch the Cold War stuff because circumstances have changed. First, Russia is a basket case. When was the last time you heard that? The big, scary Russian bear is a basket case. Rife with corruption, entirely dependent on oil and gas revenues, and starving for foreign investment. Russia's entire GDP is $1.7 trillion smaller than Biden's first COVID relief package. Their entire GDP is like the budget of the Department of Beavers and Muskrats in the United States. <laughs> Just amazing. I still think those should be two separate departments. Well, you're, I know you're a big muskrat fan. You don't appreciate having to share space with the beaver, the destructive beaver. Cute, but destructive. Which brings us to... Uh, to this, the clip, um, it's kind of hard to hear, but hang with it. Uh, or you know what? Why don't we instead, what's the, the clip? Yeah, let's go with clip number 40, Sean. It was kind of after two hours there, we looked at each other like, okay, what next? Next comes a wait. We'll find out within the next six months to a year whether or not we actually have a strategic dialogue that matters. On cybersecurity, President Biden says he gave Putin a 16-item do-not-hack list. I talked about the proposition that certain critical infrastructure should be off-limits to attack, period, by cyber or any other means. Putin alleges that's misplaced. But as for American sources, they've said that most of the cyber attacks in the world are carried out from the cyber realm of the United States. The president says he did not threaten retribution for ransomware, but posed an interesting question. I said, well, how would you feel if ransomware took on the pipelines from your oil fields? He said it would matter. All right. So I'm not certain of this. I just have a theory. Asking, how would you feel is idiotic. He'd feel like a crocodile, like he feels right now. Emotionless predator. That's how he'd feel. Oh, I'd feel really bad. Now that you mention it, I would feel terrible. It would hurt me to my heart. And now I understand why I must cut down on cyber hacking. I mean, oh, for the love of God, really? Really? I think Biden told Putin, Putin, look, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm not going to say this uh, out loud exactly, but I'm going to hint at it. Getting back to what General Goldberg was saying about how Russia is entirely dependent on oil and gas revenues, Biden said, essentially, it would be a shame if somebody took out that pipeline because then you'd be ruined and said, we're done here. Now, maybe that's just my fantasy, my red, white, and blue Uncle Sam right-wing fantasy. But why wouldn't you say that? Could be. Dude, we've put up with a lot of crap. You start paralyzing our pipelines... You start going after our hospitals. You start going after our grid. Uh, we're awake now. We're pissed now. I, I I would be terribly disappointed if he didn't. What do you think? I don't know. I hope so. I uh, I'm definitely willing to believe that um, uh, 
we don't have a good idea of what the conversation was yesterday. Yes, absolutely true. Plus, Anthony Blinken, who again think is a very, very sharp guy, could easily say something like, and and it's all coded, obviously. He doesn't mean this literally, but look, we're uh, very vigilant against uh, cyber criminals in the United States. We find them, we bust them, but uh, maybe we'd be a little less vigilant. You keep pissing us off. That's all you have to say. And then sure. you're not on the record as, as, as threatening. Right. Putin knows what he's uh, talking about. One crocodile to another. We haven't played much of the old man Biden losing his ass on a couple of reporters. Do we want to get into that? Because I, I don't know. A lot of you may have heard it, but a lot of you probably haven't. Thank God he left his apology chain on Air Force One or things could have gotten bad. He was. I, I know exactly what he felt like. It had been a long day. He was tired. He was a little hungry. And somebody, like, you know, ask a dumb question. I, I know that feeling. <laughs> He's it old. makes a difference. That's right. And he didn't want to put with it. So how about when we come back? If you haven't heard Biden getting kind of angry with a reporter or two yesterday, it's a, it's more funny than meaningful, I suppose. But he's a, he's an old man with a short temper. Stay off his lawn would be my recommendation. <laughs> Good advice. Not a joke. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. To be a good reporter, you got to be negative. you got to have a negative view of life. Okay? It seems to me the way you all, you never ask a positive question. Why, in fact, having agreement, we'll find out. We have an agreement to work on a major arms control agreement. Joe Biden from a wind tunnel. A snarky Joe Biden saying, hey, you reporters, you have to have a negative attitude to be a reporter, I guess. Huh? You never ask positive questions. I guess that's just the way you have to be to be a reporter. That's an angry old man right there is what that is. He almost, he almost went far as far as to say, uh, you know, I see Trump's point. You are the enemies of the people, and I hate you. <laughs> this is not a kumbaya moment. Right. So what he's talking about is he got a little hot and bothered with a reporter who was in his face after the uh, the summit, the meeting, whatever you want to call it. Why don't we go with clip number 31? But given his past behavior has not changed, and in that press conference after sitting down with you for several hours, he denied any involvement in cyber attacks. He downplayed human rights abuses. He even refused to say Alexei Navalny's name. So how does that account to a constructive meeting as president? That's my least favorite kind of answer. So she did her long laundry list answer there. That was, you know, presented in a very negative fashion. But how do you call that constructive? He said, if you don't understand that, you're in the wrong business. I, I've always hated that as an answer. Well, if you're not smart enough to know, I'm not going to tell you. No, no. Tell me. Actually, tell me. It's a big thing in sports reporting, too, and I don't understand how people don't understand this. How did it feel when you blank? How do you think it felt? How would you feel? No, 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 no. You don't understand. I can't write, I bet Coach Jones felt really disappointed. We're here so that I can get a quote from you. That's why we're here. I know how you felt. I'm not an idiot. But I can't write that you said it if you didn't say it. Anyway. So he was pissed off at that reporter. He was pissed off at another reporter, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, clip 30. Why are you so confident he'll change his behavior, Mr. President? Yeah, I'm not confident he'll change his behavior. What the hell? What do you do all the time? So, Under 
did I say I was Who's that reporter? Do we know that? It's a CNN uh, woman. Uh, Caitlin Collins, I believe her name is. Yeah, that's a stupid question. And he never said he was confident. He, you know, you'd hope he'd be just a little more calm and statesmanlike I about apologize it. Well, I apologize. Well, it's more than that. I, Let's hug and love each other. This wasn't even. This wasn't even. <laughs> Wait a minute. You can't say that anymore, Mr. President. Stop mm. sniffing her hair. That would have been a bad answer if it was during the question and answer period. But they were done. He was walking out. All he had to do was keep walking. Hmm. Politicians do that all the time. For some reason, he stopped in his tracks as he was about to leave the stage and turned around and addressed her, which, you know, she got under his skin, apparently. Yeah. Grumpy old man, no doubt. No doubt he's had enough. Get your words straight, Jack. I don't think, Jackie. I don't think this means anything uh, at all. Here in Geneva just earlier today. Uh, oh, and he apologized later. Do we want to play his apology there on the time? Oh, yeah. But I yeah, should let's be fair. Uh, that was a wise guy. I owe my last question an apology. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have been such a wise guy with the last answer I gave. Anyway, thanks for being here. It reminds me of my old buddy in Philadelphia, Three Eyes Pete. Right. <laughs> Pete used to carry around a turnip to keep <laughs> vampires away. Come on. But only in August. Um, uh, it doesn't mean anything. It's just, you know, people like conflict, so that's why it got so much attention. But it does show that, you know, only six months into his four-year term, he's already showing that you can get under skin really easy. Mm. Yeah, there is not a right-leaning CNN. Well, I, there could be. I mean, there are some kind of lower-tier conservative networks. Nobody from Fox, I think, would ask a Jim, uh, what's-his-face, Jim Acosta, blatantly unfair, purely uh, uh, combative question. But if there were, that might be interesting to see it unfold. Uh, Caitlin Collins was also asked about the the president's apology later. I thought this was uh, this was thanks notable. to an open record. Oops, nope, that's not it. It's this one. So Wolf, there he is apologizing for the way he responded to my question. That is completely unnecessary from the president. He did not have to apologize, though I do appreciate that he did there in front of the other reporters as he was about to get on Air Force One to go back to Washington. When I was asking him that question, Wolf, I was just doing my job, which is to question the president, regardless if they are a Democrat or a Republican, and asking the president. A question does not mean it has a negative slant or a positive slant it is simply a way to get into the president's mindset of how he is viewing something yeah th- that is fair although our question is why are what makes you so confident that he'll change when old joe biden hadn't expressed that he was confident at all it's just it's a the hell are you talking about it's a the hell kind of question are you paying attention what kind of question is that what's the over under on whether or not he punches a young woman during his term Mm, you gotta give me two to one, but just two to one. <laughs> then he punches the young. <laughs> I, I just, I was more mainly highlighting the apology not necessary, which is, I think, something that society needs more oh, yeah. of. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I do appreciate her essentially saying. <laughs> You need to make that part of your act. I mean, just in real life, around the station. What the hell? What the hell are you? Th- what are you thinking? What the hell? 
just uh, asking you how your weekend was. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, her saying, no, I'm a strong person. I don't need an apology. I'm fine. I appreciated that spirit as opposed to the every slight slight is a catastrophe attitude that so infected the nation. You could, so while uh, your question you, was unnecessarily uh, crappy, uh, kudos. If you wanted to do Trump-like coverage, stupid Trump-like coverage, you'd talk about Joe Biden's history and pattern of the way he treats women, smelling their hair, rubbing their shoulders when they don't want it, and yelling at them. It just it shows a, we have a psychologist here on set. Oh, it's a clear sign of a misogynist who thinks women should be part of the handsmaid's tale. You are uh, so right. love each other. Yeah, they would have spent three hours on MSNBC on this. Well, three days, please. You know, the, uh, the, among the takeaways that the hill.com is telling me I should have are that, uh, the Capitol riot rears its head. I think you're, you're putting it in the wrong way. Uh, Vlad Putin is an absolute expert at any time he's greeted with some sort of moral argument. He just finds a moral failing on the other side and points it out. It's a whataboutism. Uh, but he's very good at it. And uh, actually, you know, getting back to Jonah Goldberg, he he points out, listen, don't don't even get into that with Putin. Don't make moral arguments or ethical arguments with him, expecting him to rub his chin, get a little teary eyed and say, you know, you're right. I've never really thought about it that way. Again, he's a crocodile. And in contrast with the Soviet era in which the world was looking at the Soviet system, and the American system, it's very much similar to the China system right now in the American system, and trying to figure out which one worked better. And so we were in a moral competition for the hearts and everyone around the world. Nobody's trying to adopt the Russian model, except various, you know, like Central American and or African strongmen. An important conversation between Whoopi Goldberg and Meghan McCain on The View, among other things, will pass along to you. <laughs> I just <laughs> threw up into my mouth. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, and this is nice. The White House said Biden gave Putin a pair of custom aviator sunglasses. Putin says he's excited to wear the aviators back home in Russia, where the sun's out twice a year. It's um, northern, you see. I saw this yesterday and didn't mention it. The House has voted to repeal the 2002 war powers measure that gave authority to the president to invade Iraq after 9-11. They're just now repealing the authorization to to invade Iraq. How did I miss that? Hang on a second. Excuse me. I'm going to yell at my phone. You're supposed to tell me stuff like that. Get all these stupid news alerts all day from the stupid, stupid USA Today. And you don't tell me that? What am I paying you for? I am reading this op-ed piece in the New York Times about the school closures. This teacher is really pissed off with the headline. I'd have to scroll up to see the headline, and I'd lose my place, but it's something like it was a sham. It didn't work. Uh, just some, I'll hit you with just a paragraph. I'm still bewildered and horrified that our society walked away from our responsibility with public schools, that we ca- called school inessential and left each family to fend for itself. Meanwhile, nurses, bus drivers, and grocery store workers all went to work in person. Most of my students' parents went to work in person, not because they were safe, but because their work is essential. Spare me your the kids are all right Facebook memes. Some children have learned to do laundry or enjoy nature during the pandemic, but most have suffered trauma and disconnection that will take years to repair. 
if ever, those I, who aren't dead. I don't know. The first thing about public health, says this teacher, I won't venture an opinion on what impact the school closures had in controlling the spread. What I do know is that private schools in our city quickly got to work upgrading HVAC systems, putting up tents, cutting class sizes, rearranging schedules so that they could reopen safely. Public schools in other states and countries did this, uh, counties did the same. Or other countries, yeah, right, because other countries, they kept their schools open and were fine. She's mm-hmm. arguing about the Washington, D.C. area um, where her school was closed down and just how awful it has been for those kids and and how it was led by progressives and progressive groups like the teachers' unions, and it was the least progressive thing you could come up with. She used the example in her own class of how the, the, the kids whose parents have a lot of money hired teachers like, right. like it was the old days. Where you know the rich had their own teachers for the kids, the middle class people they figured out the way to do it, and the and but it was but but it was bad. And then the poorest kids in my classes got nothing. They had no childcare, they got no learning, they had no health care, they had nothing. It was the right. least progressive thing you could do, being pushed by the left. You know, among the many old timey sayings that I've accumulated through through life, don't cut off your nose to spite your face is one, and and I've never seen a better illustration of this. It was decided whether, consciously or unconsciously, we are going to torture the children for a year and a quarter, a year and a half. We are going to destroy our children to prove how anti-Trump we are. Let's begin. Yeah, it was. And that was it. It was. It wasn't a conscious decision, but that's certainly what happened, and it shows you how little regard they hold actual public schooling in. That's what it shows you. They don't think public schooling is very important. They proved that. Uh, um, no, no, it's a scam. It is the worst thing that happened in this entire pandemic, and I don't think it'll ever get its just, uh, you know, uh, conversation or the, the, anybody's going to pay a price for it or anything. In fact, people didn't pay a price. Hell, they were rewarded. School systems all across the country got millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars to continue to add layers of crap to your school. Right. It is the worst thing that's happened that government has done in my lifetime. What percentage of Americans do you figure are at least somewhat cognizant of that, of what happened and how awful it was? I don't know. I, I don't have I, any idea. I, I think, and this saddens me to my bones, which is really not the mood you're going for when you flip on a radio show or or listen to a podcast. You know what I'm in the mood for? Bone-deep sadness. Sadden to the bones. The Armstrong yes. and Getty Show. I'm sick of my sadness only being skin deep. I was the, to the bone. It was the little listened to sequel to George Thorogood's Bad to the Bone. Sad to the Bone. <laughs> full of melancholy <laughs> blues to it. So, so, so sad. <laughs> oh, I've undercut my own point. It, it, it makes me sad to the bone. I think the percentage of Americans who who fully realize what happened and why it happened is very small. And the majority, perhaps even a large majority of people who fully realize how nightmarish the school closures were and the failure that was remote learning and the rest of it, I think the vast majority think, but it was necessary. We had to, to protect the kids because of the vast ignorance about the coronavirus and and transmission among kids and schools and the rest of it. And I heard Trump wanted to open the schools, so... Um, moving away from that, um, I didn't, I don't watch the view. I've never watched the view. You couldn't make me watch the view. If you, if you held me down, I would hold my breath and allow myself to die before I would watch the view. That's how they got played <laughs> Sheikh Muhammad to talk down and get my, it wasn't waterboarding. It was, they made to watch the view. If you, if you strapped me to a chair with the view on, I would hold my breath till I passed out. All right. Um, 
But uh, here I've got a transcript of a conversation that happened on The View today. This is between Whoopi Goldberg and Meghan McCain. Thank God it's a transcript because the tape would be unlistenable. We would have no listeners left. It doesn't matter who starts this. The result is the same. Whoopi and Meghan, who hate each other. I don't care that you don't care. I don't care that you don't care. We're even. Well, good, Megan. We can uh, now. You can be how you always are, and you can be how you always are. That's grown-ups. <clears throat> That's grown-ups. Arguably, on a show, they're supposed to be having a conversation to enlighten people about something. I don't care that you don't care. I don't care that you don't care. We're even. Well, good. Now you can be how you always are, and you can be how you always are. Which again, wow. I don't care. Well, if you're if you're if you're seven I don't care year, less than you don't care. If your seven year olds are doing that, you make them sit down and and you know and, and act better. <laughs> For somebody who doesn't care, you should spend a lot of time telling me how much you don't care. Oh yeah. Oh, oh boy. Shut up, Meg. <laughs> hey, I got an idea. Let's go out to the hen house, feed all the hens meth, and then listen to them cackle at each other through the night. That's the view. <laughs> well, I think you do care. Well, I think you care. I don't care if you Damn think it, that. She got me again. Everything, every, every, every time I go in, she parries it so cleverly. Jeez, Louise. Is it possible to actually sap your IQ? If you watch something so stupid, it lowers your IQ. Is science proved well, that's the thing? Should have flipped it around. Rabbit season. That's what you do. That's you. <laughs> Duck season. <laughs> hey, boy. I tell you what TV show I'm watching. Um, and it's going to be a little slow moving, I think. But the, uh, why don't we call it the Coalition of Border Republicans, the CBR, uh, the the uh, border state Republican governors banding together to do what the federal government is not doing about immigration. You got Greg Abbott. He's saying we're building a wall in Texas. You got uh, Ron DeSantis from Florida saying I am sending Florida law enforcement to help out in Texas and Arizona. And Arizona's saying, all right, great, we could use the help. Meanwhile, Biden dithers. And Texas, the Texas governor says he's going to set up a fund that people from all over the country can donate money to build the wall. And I think tons of money, millions and millions of dollars are going to flow into that thing. Right. And the Biden administration is going to have a tough decision on their hands. Do they play the card that constitutionally I, I'm sure they'll win on? Uh, no, this is a federal thing. You can't do this. This is a federal thing. Yeah, but you ain't doing anything, and public opinion is really going to be against you. Yeah, I'm not sure that legal argument would hold water. Let's let's consider that. We'll bring you some quotes from Greg Abbott and what's happening uh, in just a moment or two. This is a drama unfolding. Don't miss it. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We know that temporary barriers and fences won't be enough to slow the flow of the record amount of illegal immigration that's taken place. That's why today we are announcing that Texas will build a border wall in our state to help secure our border. Wow, that's a, this is quite a moment. It is. That's a governor of Texas. How come this hasn't happened before where a state said, okay, we'll build the wall then? 
Why has this never happened before? Well, as you pointed out earlier in the show, Arizona tried to do some uh, immigration enforcement. That was that Minuteman stuff, and yeah. uh, the Obama administration really jumped ugly on that. And no, this is federal. This is a federal thing. It's a, it's a, only the federal government can handle the border. But you aren't, you see, is the problem. Right, right. And a highly questionable court ruling weighed in on Obama's side. But Greg Abbott said that Texas will begin to build its own border barriers between Texas and Mexico as the border crisis continues to explode. And as Jack pointed out, the Biden administration fails to do its job. Uh, The barriers will, in part, enable state law enforcement to arrest migrants for violations of state law. Uh, Quote, here's uh, Greg Abbott, the Republican governor. The influx across the border is out of control, and the Biden administration has shown it's not going to step up and do its job. And amidst reports of even more people coming in across the border, we know we have to step up and do more. Uh, The Del Rio sector is suffering some of the greatest increases. They're seeing a lot of very bad, dangerous people come across the border, people that are afraid of encountering people who are causing damage to their fences, their livestock, their crops, their neighborhoods, and their homes. Bad things are happening around here, so they need help from the state to help them address this exploding crisis. I don't think there's a single sentence of that or a single paragraph or a syllable of that that's not true. That's not completely true. Well, I like asking for the online donations from people all across the country because I think that will scare off some of the criticism because I think money's going to pour into that fund. And it's just going to be an indication to uh, the Biden administration. Man, there's a lot of people we're on yeah. the wrong side of here. A little more from Abbott. Authorities will use existing state laws along with the authority of the state of emergency declaration made earlier this month to crack down on those illegally crossing the border. Now, this is going to be interesting. Oh, and don't don't let me forget about the Ron DeSantis angle from Florida. But there's the Arizona court decision. But if you do something perfectly lawful while announcing it's for the purpose of whatever, maybe in uh, securing the border. I mean, if I were to announce that uh, I'm uh, going to overthrow the government of the United States of America by holding a cornhole tournament uh, amongst myself and my neighbors. It's an interesting idea. The, the courts are not going to weigh in and say, no, you can't have a cornhole tournament. Um, in the same way that Greg Abbott and company can build walls in Texas, if you've ever seen a highway... With the noise-retaining walls or whatever, you ever been in a house? They have walls. You can build walls. Would the federal court step in and say, all right, you know, this is a mile on Texas territory, but you're clearly building walls as choke points, so migrants have to pass through exit, and we're not going to let you build those walls? What if you just lied and said, we changed our zoning, so now farms can build walls uh, if it's to keep the noise on uh, out, of, out of Mexico? It's noisy in Mexico, so we're just trying to... Or they don't like wind. Or mind your own damn business. They want a wall. I don't know. Yeah, this is really going to be interesting going forward. Uh, and then I was hearing uh, from was some news report yesterday said pressure is growing on the left for Kamala Harris to visit the border. Boy, that'll be fun because she will so oh. badly screw it up. Trump's going to the border. <laughs> right. Oh, right, so, yeah. So Trump announced, I don't remember what day it is, but soon he's going to go and meet with Abbott, Governor Abbott. I mean, mm-hmm. he's going to be on the border. That's going to be the biggest political thing he's done since he left office. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a full... You know, I don't know if he's going to run or not, but that's a uh, that's the sort of thing that if it were anybody but Trump, you'd say they're running. Yeah. It's, it's a little stunty to me. 
a little Trumpy because well, I, I feel like the momentum is really going in the right direction with this. I feel like border trips are always stunty, as I've said, but yeah, yeah. Um, but the the uh, the eyes of uh, the media, who unfortunately, you know, if, if something's going to get critical mass, you need the media at least covering it a little bit. Uh, the eyes of the media are increasingly on the border, and if Trump goes, it'll be about Trump now and not the border. Good point. What um what's the lead singer of Coldplay? Gwyneth Paltrow's ex, Chris what's Martin. It? Chris mm-hmm. Martin. I was going to get into Ron DeSantis of Florida. We can go to Chris yeah, Martin instead was, if you like. I was trying to interrupt that by bringing it's up the bittersweet symphony of life. So I was watching uh, just on one of your talk shows. They had Coldplay sing. I hate Coldplay. I, I don't mind their music, but I hate him. I just I find him incredibly unlikely. And of course, the fact that he married Gwyneth Paltrow is a, a black mark against him. Oh. But um, I didn't. He was a crotch grabber. He was just they were just doing a live performance there in New York Times Square. People dancing around and stuff like that. He's like a, he's like a rapper crotch grabber. I mean, he had his hand on his junk the entire song, like grabbing it and rubbing. What's, what is it? What, what are you an ape or something? I just I don't understand the crotch grabbing. I've always hated it. Well, it was especially out of a. I don't know. I mean, it's it's always weird, but the rapper thing. It's kind of, but with the, the Chris Martin of Coldplay. You gonna do the grabbing your crotch thing? Yeah. Ah, just uh, it's disgusting. Ah, it's whatever just... happened to the good singer Sinatra? Sinatra, he, he was a class act. <laughs> Sinatra would never grab his crank. He'd, he'd make you grab it. <laughs> Mac Davis, there's another one. Oh, the great um, Mac Davis. So, <laughs> anyway, so you wanted to talk about the governor of Florida? Yeah, let's just hit clip fifty-one. Florida's Republican Governor Ron DeSantis announcing he is going to be sending Florida law enforcement to Texas and Arizona to help supplement their border security. The state of Florida is answering the call. We believe that securing the southern border is important for our country. Meanwhile, Donald Trump announced he will visit the border on June 30th with Governor Greg Abbott. The former president saying Joe Biden's handling of the border has turned it into a, quote, unmitigated disaster zone. So the previous Arizona incident we've been discussing, or the chapter, that was that was kind of a preliminary effort to to express that if the federal government doesn't do its job, it is the right and the duty of the states to step in, and the court at the time was not sympathetic. But this is not one state doing one thing. This is now multiple states taking multiple measures and, and aiding each other in this effort, this will absolutely not go away quietly. No, it's going to be a tough one. I don't know how I'd handle it if I was the Biden administration, other than doing the right thing and securing the border, which is unbelievably politically popular, by the way. Oh, yeah. Be fine politically. Your left, the the left flank would go nuts. But yeah, is there some uh, there probably is in political science, some understanding, a chart, maybe, or or, I don't know, a, a song that explains that. The intensity of involvement or the volume of a particular coalition is how big it is, not the number of votes there. Right. Because they just have outsized influence. And and if you were just to go with the numbers of voters, it'd be an easy decision. But again, both sides would rather have the issue than solve the issue. I think he secures the border and he walks into his second term. He's not going to walk into anything. Okay, I think he'll be with God. He's pushed. <laughs> oh, jeez. You know, it kind of reminds me, there's a report out from 538 today. That's the, uh, the, the website that looks at politics and trends and all that sort of stuff. Talking about the, the, uh, the two parties and why we're so polarized and all that sort of stuff. Um, 
and said, there's no shortage of plausible explanations for why U.S. politics has become so polarized, but many of these theories describe impossible to reverse trends that have played out across developed democracies, like the rise of social media and the increased political salience of globalization, immigration, urban, rural culture divides, blah, blah, blah. All these trends are important contributors for sure for our polarization, but if they alone are driving illiberalism and hyperpartisanship in the United States, then the problem should be consistent across all Western democracies, and it isn't. Other first world Western democracies have the same, they got the same social media and everything that we do, and mm-hmm. they're not as polarized as we are, driven by the loudest voices. So what's different? Hmm, that is definitely a question too complicated to answer briefly. Yeah, but that's what I've been blaming. That's what everybody's been blaming, right? Well, you got the Twitter and everything. Well, they got that in other countries. Well, part of the answer is Trump, obviously. Maybe I that's mean, so wild card. incredibly polarizing. Maybe that's the wild card. Maybe he was the ignition device that is missing in other places. I mean, the, the, those passions and, and causes are out there, but they're never ignited. They they lay dormant. The catalyst. Yes, it's the word I was looking for. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably it. That people were so intensely either loathing or loving of Trump. How long would Trump have to be off the scene before everything is seen through the Trump lens? Like I tweeted out yesterday, I tweeted out the video of Biden yelling at that reporter, and a number of the responses were, you never said that about Trump. Okay, okay, here we go. I mean, (laughs) how long will Trump have to be off the scene before people stop? A couple terms. I wonder. I, 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 I honestly wonder. I don't know. After he passes, probably. I don't know. You think he has to be no longer alive before people would stop? I think it's possible because he'll be, if he lives to be 100 at age 99, he'll hint that he might run. (laughs) Get the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.